today from the Global Lane. China appointed to UN Human Rights Council as it forces Uyghurs into slave labor. When will the pandemic end? A COVID-19 vaccine may be coming sooner than you think. State governments say they're non-essential. He said you have to leave or I'll give you a summons and I said I don't understand why I'm going to get a summons. Pro-lifers offering help during the COVID-19 crisis arrested and ticketed. And the tomb is empty. Why Christians believe the Easter miracle. And it's all right here on the Global Lane. Economic damage done to China as a result of the COVID-19 viral outbreak has caused the communist government to rapidly expand work camps and slave labor efforts in the country. The hardest hit, apparently, are the Turkic people of Xinjiang, East Turkestan. The new video shows Uyghur Muslims being forcibly transferred to a factory in Shandong province. Well, here to tell us more is Mr. Saleh Hudayar. He's the Prime Minister of East Turkestan and founder of the East Turkestan National Awakening Movement. Sally, the video is shocking. Even China expert Gordon Chang says this is a crime against humanity. So tell us more. What have you learned about this? So uh, for the past several years, um, the Chinese government has been locking up millions of Uyghurs, Kazakhs, Kyrgyz, and other Turkic peoples in concentration camps. Uh, with the uh, coronavirus uh, pandemic, uh, a lot of uh, Chinese people have been affected by this, and many of them, um, unfortunately, are not able to continue their work in these uh, factories. So the Chinese government found it much uh, easier to forcibly transfer uh, Uyghur and other Turkic peoples uh, to use the slave labor to boost their production as um, the uh, global uh, pandemic is, the coronavirus pandemic is hitting their economy. And of course, we see video of them being forcibly loaded onto buses. They do have suitcases. Some, uh, I guess, previous video shows them even being shackled and transported. So none of this surprises you, does it? We know that the Chinese government has sent more than a million Uyghurs to so-called re-education camps. Uh, why? Why have they done this? So the Chinese government's excuse is that it's engaging in counterterrorism. But this is nothing new. Uh, this is uh, pure colonialism. China has been, uh, since it occupied East Turkestan in 1949, it's been colonizing the region, uh, putting Uyghurs and other Turkic peoples into Chinese provinces or prisons, while at the same time uh, moving uh, Chinese settlers to uh, colonize the region. Now, we have some video that you provided of children being separated from their parents. Tell us about that. How many children? What ages? Why? So over 500,000 children under the ages of uh, uh, 12 have been separated from their families. It's part of China's overall policy to colonize and assimilate our population. And they think that uh, by taking these children and putting them into state-run orphanages and boarding schools, that they can uh, ensure that they're loyal, that they grow up to be loyal to the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese state. So the old re-education uh, through labor and uh, indoctrinating them into communist beliefs. So, Sally, what can people do about it? I know some members of the U.S. Congress have spoken out. So have others. It's gotten some media attention. But China isn't changing its policy. Is it making a difference? Um, no, it's not really making too much of a difference. There are some bills in the U.S. Congress, like the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, the Uyghur Act, uh, which have still not been passed yet. Um, one of the first things is to get these passed um, so 
people can call on their members of Congress, their senators, to uh, pass this bill. Uh, we can also pressure the U.S. government to uh, recognize the atrocities as a genocide because the uh, Holocaust Memorial Museum recognized it as a crime against humanity. Other things we can do is uh, ensure that um, you know the United States government treats the uh, East Turkestan issue on par with Tibet by uh, recognizing East Turkestan as an occupied country and referring to East Turkestan by its correct term, East Turkestan, and not by the uh, Chinese colonial term, Xinjiang, which means the new territory. I think that's a good goal, but probably uh, it's a long shot, isn't it? I, I don't think that's likely to happen anytime soon. Uh, I know President Trump talks frequently by phone to President Xi, and he mentioned making another call last week. Now, once this viral outbreak is behind us, I'm sure uh, trade talks will resume. So what about linkage with human rights, the plight of Christians and Uyghurs? Do you think it's being discussed? What have you heard about that? So uh, many members of the U.S. government, the Trump administration, including Secretary Pompeo and other um, members of uh, the Trump administration, have already been speaking out against uh, China's human rights uh, violations, of be it whether it's Uyghurs or Christians or Buddhists. Um, I think it is on the table, but the United States government needs to recognize that um, China, you know, is not going to relent uh, from, you know, per persecuting these people. Um, we're just giving them more time, and we're actually encouraging them to do this uh, by not, you know, imposing uh, heavy sanctions and uh, tariffs to hurt them, you know, to pressure them economically and politically. Okay, I'm sorry we're out of time, but Saleh Hudayar, Prime Minister of East Turkestan and founder of the East Turkestan Awakening Movement, Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration has authorized a coronavirus test that measures antibodies in the blood. It could help identify people who have contracted COVID-19 without showing symptoms. Also, it could help determine which health care workers would be immune from contracting the virus while treating COVID-19 patients. And late last month, the FDA authorized doctors to prescribe hydroxychloroquine for treating people hospitalized with COVID-19. Well, here with more is Peter Pitts. Mr. Pitts is a former associate FDA commissioner and the president and co-founder of the Center for Medicine in the Public Interest. Mr. Pitts, it's good to have you with us again. So the FDA has authorized testing for coronavirus antibodies. Why is that important? The FDA has granted an emergency uh, use exemption for a new test, see whether somebody's already had COVID-19 virus, see whether they've got what's called convalescent uh, plasma antibodies. And the reason that's so crucial is we need to identify who in uh, the community, uh, the community of our town, city, state, region, nation, has had the disease and come through uh, the tunnel to the other end. Those people may be immune, and we want to be sure that if they're doctors and nurses, hospital technicians, firefighters, police officers, you know, those are the guys on the front lines. And if they have already had the virus, uh, they're safer than almost everybody else. So by identifying them, we can get everybody else who has to be outside doing their job out of harm's way. And I su suspect that also goes for people, for example, that are stocking our supermarket shelves. You know, we need to make sure those people, these healthcare heroes, uh, know whether they're safe so we can make sure that we're doing the right thing. And I understand some people uh, may have had the virus and not even know it. Is that true? 
Yes, uh, between 25 and 50% of people that have the virus have no symptoms, they're, they're asymptomatic. And that's another reason why masks are so important because we don't know who is sick, who has been sick. So it's another protective mechanism, but it also tells us that we need to test, see who's already come through the tunnel, who, who's had the virus, so we know how to deal with that. Now, for example, here in New York, uh, we were uh, the epicenter early in the curve. So we're probably going to have more people who have those convalescent antibodies than other places, say in the South or the Midwest or even the West Coast. So New York conceivably uh, could get back to almost normal activities sooner than other places. But that's really a question of data, and that's why it's so important to collect this information. And the FDA approved prescribing hydroxychloroquine for use as treatment in the hospital. How about for treatment at home for people diagnosed with COVID-19? That might prevent uh, hospitalizations. What do you think? Shouldn't that be allowed? Well, I guess another important finesse here is that it hasn't been approved for use. It's been given an emergency exemption for physicians to use as they see fit. Now, you know, chloroquine is used for a variety of things, uh, most especially treating lupus and uh, rheumatoid arthritis on a chronic basis. So we don't want to create shortages. And people should, of course, never self-medicate or buy medicines on the internet. Most people that get the virus, uh, 85%, really all they need to do is stay home, drink plenty of fluids and get lots of rest. They'll feel terrible and then they'll get over the virus. The medicines really treat the severity of the symptoms and potentially make the duration of the virus a little bit shorter. And those need to be reserved for people who are very sick in the hospital, pre-existing conditions, older. We don't want everybody using it. We want to make sure that the medicine's available for those who need it the most. And you recently wrote an opinion piece talking about the record-breaking pace that pharmaceutical companies have developed promising treatments for vaccines uh, for this virus. Yet it seems we may be 12, 18 months off from an approved vaccine. Can that be fast-tracked? Your thoughts? Well, uh, my, my information tells me we'll see a vaccine between 10 and 12 months. And that's because a variety of companies all around the world, but largely in the U.S., are devoting tremendous resources to getting the job done quickly. So the more shots on goal, the more likely we are to succeed. I think the message here is that when government and the private sector uh, work as allies rather than adversaries and politicians keep their mouths shut relative to uh, their politicking against quote, quote unquote big pharma, we can get a lot done. Together we can get a lot done. I'm very optimistic. And, and what has impressed you the most on that, that cooperation? I think what impresses me the most, believe it or not, is that big pharma hasn't seen fit to brag on itself. They're too busy getting the job done. And to the president's credit, he's really given credit to the pharmaceutical, to the pharmaceutical industry for getting the job done. And I think when you tone down their rhetoric, that's been the most uh, exciting thing for me. We're really keeping our eye on the prize, and we're now realizing it's not time to fix the blame. It's time to fix the problem. And of course, the FDA is Food and Drug Administration, but... What about food, the food supply? Farmers are suffering right now. So are some of the truckers. There are concerns about keeping food safe in transport and at the stores. There's also concern about possible food supply shortages even after this pandemic has ended. Are there good reasons for concern? I think we need to be concerned about understanding kind of the industrial health logistics situation, whether it's food, whether it's protective masks, gowns, and gloves. We have to learn from the Chinese and European experience that on the one hand, we have to focus on medical and scientific issues, but we can't ignore uh, logistics. Ventilators is a good example of that. We have to ensure that what is needed, whether it's medical supplies or food, gets to where it needs to be and so the people don't suffer shortages. But that also means we have to avoid you know, the inclination to hoard. Just as we control social distancing and sheltering in place, so too we can control 
uh, inopportune hoarding. Okay, Peter Pitts, president of the Center for Medicine in the Public Interest. Thank you for your time and insights. We appreciate you, sir. My pleasure. Please stay safe. The coronavirus stay-at-home orders are causing some local police to arrest and ticket pro-life counselors working outside abortion clinics. Christian entrepreneur, former professional baseball player David Benham and his 20-year-old son were arrested last Saturday in Charlotte, North Carolina. Benham says they were providing an essential service, charitable work outside the preferred women's abortion clinic. The co-host of the former HGTV reality show Flip It Forward says he and his son were arrested despite practicing social distancing, keeping six feet away from people outside the clinic. Pro-life counselors in other states are also facing arrest and fines. One incident happened just a few miles from the CBN headquarters. I talked to Hope for Life counselor Sherry Britt outside of Virginia Beach, Virginia Planned Parenthood facility. And that's where she says police recently gave her a court summons. They told us that we were not in compliance with the governor's order. Even though we tried to explain we were a 501c3 charity doing free medical services and offering um, essential items that women need and can't get in the stores right now, like diapers and wipes and clothes. Um, it was just me with the ministry on the sidewalk. And he said, you have to leave or I'll give you a summons. And I said, I don't understand why I'm going to get a summons because, you know, we're providing essential services. So he wrote me a summons and I have an a court date for June 18th. Did he threaten to arrest you? How did he think you were violating the order? He wouldn't give me any explanation of how I was violating the order other than I was more at that point in time stationary and he, they like to consider us as protesters. Um, but we're not protesters. We're not out here against women. We're out here to serve women and help women. We see women coming out of this abortion clinic crying. And, and we see mothers and fathers and men making women come in the doors of those abortion clinics when they don't want to. And they're supposed to counsel these women. If they talk to these women, they would tell them, go talk to those people out there on the sidewalk because they're there to help you. If you don't want to have an abortion, you don't have to have an abortion. That women, Abortion shouldn't be forced on women. But they don't. They tell the girls literally inside the building to stay away from us, that we're against them, that we're protesters, that we say mean things to them. We don't. You can talk to any of our women who have birthed their 600 babies in the past five years that we know of, that we've worked with. They, nobody brings their baby back. They're always so happy. And last week we worked hard with clothes and gave out 500 diapers and free baby hygiene and food. and. We're making deliveries for women who don't have vehicles and can't get out. So now, now tell me what difference do the ultrasounds make when you do get someone coming over here to have an ultrasound? It's just amazing. You know, we have a sheet of paper where we compare the abortion clinic ultrasound to one of our ultrasounds. And the ultrasound in the abortion clinic is actually even upside down. The woman's bladder is totally over here in the wrong spot when it's actually to your left. And so they don't want women to see their babies and, and love their babies. And when it, just last week, um, Misty did an ultrasound for the girl and the scan hit the, ba the her tummy and boom, there was this beautiful baby. And immediately this mother fell in love with that child because she could see that little baby and just bond and connect with it. It's really something that I use, a medical tool that is literally used for God's truth. And I am shocked at how many women immediately, the moment they see it, and it literally brings joy to me because sometimes I'm apprehensive if it, will this, will they see what I want them to see? Will they understand what is truth? 
and it, it works. I mean, they see it and they fall in love and they, then they start to ask questions and then they want to learn about their body and I'm there to teach them. I guess the governor of Virginia considers what Planned Parenthood does as an essential service. How about yours? Right. Well, right now, essential seems to be uh, an opinion now. Um, and the opinion right now from our governor is that uh, Planned Parenthood is essential. If Planned Parenthood is essential, there is no question that Hope for Life is not essential. We are, are trying to save people's lives by speaking the truth. We're saving a life. These women right now are struggling, especially in this time right now. So we give out, I went for my little one, couldn't even find wipes, zero wipes. We have wipes to give out to women. There's, it's more than just the saving of their lives, the, th the items that we're able to provide for them, for these babies' needs. We're not just telling a mom, oh, keep your baby, it's truth, it's truth. We're here to help them in the ways that we're able. We're not able to take away everything from their struggles, but the parts that we can, and one being baby items, we got you. We got you on baby items. Anyone need baby items, call us. <laughs> these people need help. Who's going to do it? If we don't, who will? Now, we called the Virginia Beach Police Department asking for a response. We received no return phone call. Also, we later learned that the woman who allowed us to videotape her ultrasound procedure is pregnant with twins. She's decided to keep her babies. Congratulations on your double blessings. Each year, as Christians celebrate Easter, naysayers always seem to come out of the woodwork, eagerly sharing their doubts about the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. I'm sure this Easter will be no exception. As I've traveled the global lane, I've shared my faith with many Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, Jews, and atheists. Some have accepted Christ. Many have not. So how about you? Do you believe? If you're skeptical, perhaps even a bit uncertain about the divinity of Jesus, you need to take time to watch this. It's Paul Strand's report on the Christian response to all the resurrection deniers. Christianity's power all hinges on the fact of the resurrection, but detractors for centuries have come up with scenarios to explain away the reality of the resurrection. One is the wrong tomb theory. Everyone just went to the wrong tomb, an empty one, and assumed Christ had resurrected. Indiana Dr. Joseph Bergeron studied the crucifixion of Christ and its aftermath for 10 years. Going to a wrong tomb and finding it empty or uh, doesn't present to anybody's mind that the person resurrected from the dead. Alex McFarland is another top defender of the faith at events like Bible camps and apologetics conferences. He points out another well-known fact. Pilate had dispatched a, a cadre of Roman soldiers to guard the tomb. So everybody knew where it was. There's also the swoon theory that wants you to believe instead of dying on the cross, Jesus only passed out, woke up in the tomb a couple of days later, rolled away the huge stone and escaped. McFarland says impossible. Christ has been at least two to three days without food or water, dehydrated. He was beaten severely, a huge loss of blood, uh, nailed to the cross. And if the always fatal crucifixion process hadn't already killed him, Roman soldiers made sure. They plunged a spear into his chest because to allow any possibility that he would survive the crucifixion uh, would mean that they would die themselves. McFarland explains the swoon theorists then present this unlikely scenario. He revived himself. He moves a two and a half to three ton stone he overcomes a dozen Roman soldiers in peak physical condition. McFarland also sees a moral problem with what the swoon theorist wants you to believe. He told his disciples he had risen and he allowed them to go forth and preach what was false and die for what really wasn't true. 
This compromises the moral, righteous nature of the person Jesus. The stolen body theory proposes that the very disciples who fled in terror after the crucifixion then risked death to steal Christ's body from the tomb and then made up the whole resurrection story. They sufficiently regather and summon up enough bravery to overcome Roman soldiers. I mean, this could have been at best arrest, if not execution and death. They move the stone, they take away the body of Jesus, they say he's risen. But that would have been the opposite of Jesus' life and teaching. Everything he's all about is predicated on righteousness, virtue, truth, holiness. Here is truth personified and they build a gospel on a lie, just doesn't make sense. And all but one of those disciples was put to death for this gospel. People sometimes will die for some misguided belief that they have. Nobody dies for a hoax. One popular idea is that everyone who saw Jesus alive after his death was just hallucinating. Bergeron points out though, in the rare documented cases of group hallucinations, they all see different things. None of them experience the same exact thing. Because it's all in their mind. McFarland points out the risen Christ appeared several times and interacted with hundreds of people, as recorded in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says he was seen by up to 500 brethren at once. Hallucination hypotheses can never explain the group appearances, the group experiences the disciples had with Jesus. Hallucinations are not contagious. Hallucinations generally don't appear in different places uh, to different groups of people. You generally can't talk and converse with an hallucination, and you certainly can't eat with an hallucination. So why not just believe in what the Son of God promised he'd do, resurrection? Bergeron contends the best explanation for why Jesus wasn't in that tomb Easter morning is what Christ's disciples have always said. He came alive and rose from it. Paul Strand, CBN News, reporting from Indiana. The tomb is empty. He lives and promises eternal life for those who believe. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Twitter. Happy Easter, and until next time, be blessed.